Hey, welcome to the results bulletin for season three, episode four of which decade is tops or pops so soon after the last one. I know. Can you believe it? We're getting back onto a regular basis with these episodes now. and Hopefully that will continue. We are joined this time by another member of the Patreon Supporters Club, and this is Hedgerow. Hello, Hedgerow. Hello. Good to see all you guys and talk. Hopefully. I can tell by the timbre of your voice that you're not from around these parts. Where are you based, roughly? I live in California. And briefly, I lived in the United Kingdom for about 18 months. And so I got familiar with a lot of the, I kind of dove into like the pop music scene there. And that's kind of been a, a cornerstone since then. It was enough to make you an Anglophile. What years were you in the UK? 1999-2000. So a very good pop years. The Rude Sandstorm. And many more. Cliff Richard and Millennium Prayer. <laughs> First hit by one of the artists we will be covering in the next episode. No more spoilers. Other question for you, Hedgerow. I like to know the decade in which our guest contributors are born. In which decade were you born? The decade I was born was probably not as important as like the decade I was 12, and that was the 80s. Okay. I think I can deduce we were born in the 70s, in common with Trevor Nick, not in common with me. I'm a little bit older. I think this is a good point. The decade that you were 12 is more mm. important than the decade you were born when it comes to pop music. You know, in the last episode, I was talking about erasure, and I think that long anecdote that I murdered out and I'm instantly regret you know i was 12 and that's when it lands isn't it yeah yeah exactly i'm not entirely sure i trust people who are into pop music when they're eight <laughs> maybe i don't trust people who are still into pop music when they're 48 like i am but still <laughs> don't slag off our listenership please i'm slagging <laughs> off me i'm saying come on trev move on <laughs> by now i should be going uh, it's all rubbish all this modern mumbo jumbo. <laughs> I know it's weird. The problem with this is that I have often been accused of having the musical taste of a twelve-year-old girl. So I am essentially still twelve. Never underestimate the discerning power of a twelve-year-old girl. Let's embrace our inner twelve-year-old selves. Wise words. And on that note, right on with some results. Oh, before I give you the results, eagle-eared listeners may have noticed that I cocked up the scoring at the end of the last episode. Erasure should have won our team vote, not Julie Covington. But either nobody noticed, because they all switch off by then, or everybody's just too polite to comment. I don't know which. I noticed and didn't want to say, I didn't want to go, come on, Mike, because I feel that I'd given you like nine or ten hard goes over on how you feel about the cars, and I'm warming up to do exactly the same again. Well, I can reveal, I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to many people, firmly in last place, earning minus one point for the 2000s, Cass Carter, truly madly deeply. We have some comments. Alex says, I don't find Cascada particularly unpleasant, but I'm baffled as to how stuff like this gets into the charts. Who needs to buy it other than the bloke that ruins my package holiday by playing it round the pool several times an hour? I think I can safely say the Savage Garden version is better. And I've not heard the Savage Garden version. <laughs> Jeff, who placed it last, says... Oddly, my wife, who is a Savage Garden fan, loved this. And Malcolm the Break Doctor says, Euro meh, I'm afraid. And I say that as one who likes a lot of Euro pop dance. I quite like the original of this, but this is a long way from a worthwhile cover. Feels soulless and like journeyman output. 
hedro you placed it last as well didn't you yes so um saint etienne have this outtake fairground rock and roll and they mentioned like the whole list of bands that they associate with carnival rides and stuff like that traveling carnival rides and that list included like betty boo and stuff like that and that's completely different from like american carnival ride music it's just mostly really bad rock but going to europe and hearing the music that accompanies your carnival rides there's like yeah cascada definitely fit in that genre that's interesting uh, the carnival music for me is the stuff that was playing at one particular carnival when i was 12 years old in 1974 specifically the drifters kissing in the back row of the movies and stephanie de sykes born with a smile on my face and on the ride i kept going on every time the ride started going it would power down the turntable a bit like someone had turned the pitch control down so the track would kind of wobble and I could never quite hear them right. I've been to the Goose Fair in Nottingham, and I I can imagine whizzing around on the waltzers put together by an itinerant Bulgarian to Cascada. That does make some sense. With the exception of the song, Are You Going to Scarborough Fair? I don't believe carnivals actually existed before Eurodance. 1989, I think, was when people started going, hang on a minute, we need to use this music for something. What, what, why don't we like hire out the Village Green and we'll get like a merry-go-round and we'll sell some, you know, reconstituted hot dogs. Job's a good one. Like Mike didn't believe the Cars was actually a pop record that made a hit. I just don't believe carnivals happened before. it. It's, it's a lie. I think there's an artist coming up in the next episode whose music is machine-tooled for fairground rides i'll be honest <laughs> okay right into the met zone our two oldest decades share the met zone this time so we've got what would i be by val dunican from the 60s and don't cry for me argentina by julie covington for the 70s comments for val dunican james centuries of sound our guest from last time says the pleasant surprise here is the production lush scott walker style filmic stuff not quite spaghetti western but with that kind of dark country mystery val tries his best but there's still a slight mismatch between his chumminess and the drama of the backing you really need someone with an air of menace here an outlaw not a chummy friendly voice it doesn't quite spoil it but i prefer somebody else giving it a go mark who placed it second says you could almost imagine the walker brothers doing this one bit of synchronicity there and craig says i remember being on holiday in southport where he was doing a summer season and the whole family had tickets to go and see him i really didn't want to so my dad took pity on me and took me next door to the cinema to see the empire strikes back instead a lucky escape by the evidence of this tune hedro this was in the Met for you as well. You're lining up with a consensus here so far. It's really hard for me to speak about this song because I'm, I'm familiar with the singer and he is, seems to have a really big cultural cachet or a particular cultural cachet. And listening to the, like some of the other songs in the further tracks that were about barnyard animals and stuff, I'm not really sure I ever really quite got the proper context for this song. I mean, that's kind of one of my goals listening to the songs and in the decades is trying to figure out, okay, well, what is the context this is coming from and what are we trying to do? Mm. And I never really quite got it for this one. I don't want to stereotype 
all Americans and how British people feel about Americans. But so far, we've talked about carnivals and barnyard animals. Isn't that what you do? <laughs> I take the point. They were saying Scott Walker, the Walker Brothers. I take the point. I'd love to have heard this done by somebody else. But I was actually thinking of female singer. Um, if Sandy Shaw or Petula Clark had done this song, I think it would be a lot more revered than it has been because of it being done by boring old uncool Val Dunican in his rocking chair. And I think that Hedgerow is right, that Val Dunican to the Americans is probably like somebody like Jack Benny to us, is that we've heard of them, but we have absolutely no idea of their cultural impact 30, 40 years ago. So I imagine Val Dunican didn't touch the sides of American culture in any meaningful way. So it got into the charts here because he had a TV audience of 20 million people every Saturday, presumably. Would he be like uh, maybe Kenny Rogers? Because we're aware of Kenny Rogers in that we know a couple of his tunes, but we don't know a lot of his back catalogue. Would that be a good example? I hadn't heard of this singer before at all whatsoever. This was a completely new experience for me, which was kind of... I mean, I'm glad I heard the song on offer first because, you know, I thought, okay, well, this is just your average crooner type thing. The other songs kind of pointed me in another direction. I think there's a lot of acts that are huge in America that we know the name, but nothing else. And they'd struggle to fill a 200 capacity venue. Um, I'm thinking of a sort of millennial acts, Hootie and the Blowfish and the Dave Matthews Band. I mean, nothing here at all. I love Hootie. Don't go down this road. God, of course you would. (laughs) (laughs) Counting Crows, Hootie and the Blowfish. I love all of that. Cocktail rock bars were built really on a solid foundation of Hootie and the Blowfish and bandanas. And yeah, you were going to different types of bars. But if your teen years were spent drinking Long Island iced teas that tasted of cigarette butts like mine were, uh, (laughs) then yeah, Hootie and the Blowfish, we were aware. Right. Despite a strong early lead, Julie Covington slipped back dramatically in the second half of the voting and ended up in the meh. Let's have some comments for Julie C. Alex says, the vocals so high up in the mix coupled with a verse construction that confines the melody to a handful of notes with the music moving underneath, there is literally nowhere for either the singer nor the lyricist to hide, and they rise to the occasion beautifully. James says, Julie has a very interesting voice, so much character, both powerful and sounding kind of guileless, the kind of thing trained into posh girls at drama school in the 60s, I suppose. She puts bags of feelings into every syllable. At times, I'm stunned. At other times, it's all a bit too much for me. So I'm not sure whether I love this or hate it. The backing is definitely too overpowering, though. It would be much better if they'd either kept it simple or let it slowly build. And Ed says, I don't tend to like songs from musicals shorn from their context. The big sweeping emotions seem unearned and the mood whiplash is too great. This is really the case here. I couldn't listen to it through more than once. But Hedgerow, this was your second place choice. Just the quality of the song craft. I can tell that each of these notes that the singer sings were intentionally done. The almost lack of an instrumental portion in the beginning, only to have it build up at the very end. 
that sort of buildup and sweep. Yeah, that happens in, in other pop music as well. I mean, I just think the um, the quality of the track goes beyond my particular taste at this point. Likewise, likewise. There was a remix of the Madonna version, wasn't there? Like a Latin kind of remix of it mm. on my Friday bangers went down a treat last week. You love Latin music. I mean, you know Latin music. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's my absolute favorite. I mean, Bad Bunny and me, I tell you. All of the comments that I read that were about the context was everything that I was going for with how I felt about this tune. I don't deny the songcraft and all of that kind of stuff, but I don't have a context. And I think quite a few other people felt the same. Yeah, kind of an unrepresented selection of comments there in that, well, two of them were absolutely positive. And one of them was sort of mixed. It happens that way sometimes. The comments and the positions don't always tally. Into the top three. In third place, earning one point for the 2010s, it's 24K Magic by Bruno Mars. And that kind of surged in the latter part of voting while Julie Covington slumped. So James says... I'm quite suspicious that Bruno Mars was an AI experiment where somebody typed in, give me the ultimate funky 80s soul banger, and it piped this out. So big and shiny and catchy, but also so hollow and soulless. Not so much unashamedly retro as incapable of feeling shame retro. From time to time, though, I feel like I get a hint of something human peeping through, and that's all that pushes it slightly into the like column. But only just. Ed says, something about Bruno Mars's voice just cuts through me. When he strains for a note, I can feel my skeleton weeping, and it stopped me enjoying a whole host of his otherwise brilliant pop songs. Occasionally, however, my body gives one of his songs a pass, and this is one of them. It's just pop so perfect, even my bones can't object. And Mark, who placed it first, says, This turns out to be so much better when I'm not watching the video. I've never watched the video. I mean, backhanded compliments there. Pedro, you placed it third. So you must be in broad agreement with what was said there? More positive than maybe the comments selected. This really kind of reminded me of the way that the Scissor Sisters were able to kind of meld the 70s sound with the contemporary sound. This song for me took the best bits of a particular type of mid-80s R&B soul funk with a contemporary sound. It just reminded me, it's like, okay, well, this is the music that you heard the parents dancing to downstairs while you were stuck upstairs as a little kid. Like that music was kind of bumping and bumping and you know they're having a lot of fun and you're just kind of stuck upstairs as a kid but now you're an adult and you're relishing the music for yourself interesting it revives the style of music that i was into at the time and was buying at the time quick dj anecdotal aside i mentioned during the episode that i could hear something of patrice russian's forget-me-nots in this well last friday i dj'd an all 1980s special and I played early on Patrice Russian's Forget-Me-Nots and this very disgruntled punter came up to me and she said, I thought this was an 80s night. Yes, this track is 90s. And I went, no, that's the Will Smith version they sample from Men in Black. This is Patrice Russian. She wouldn't believe me. She stood there with her arms folded, refusing to believe that Forget-Me-Nots is from the 80s. What can you do? Was the lack of Will Smith not a giveaway? Yeah, right. No <laughs> rapping. God! Come get your black bin bags! Yes, right? 
<laughs> Whether by or straight or bend. I always hear that in my head. Hedgerow, have you seen Phoenix Nights? Has that made it uh, to America? <laughs> because I suspect that entire passage is like, why are they talking about black bin bags? It's definitely on YouTube in me Nasda singing, come and get your black bin bags. I'll have to check that out. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Once heard, never forgotten. Right. In second place, earning two points for the 1990s, it's Breathe by The Prodigy. James says, absolutely my favourite of the Fat of the Land singles. Ultimately a load of nonsense like the rest of the album, but it builds such an atmosphere that disbelief is completely suspended for a few minutes. Maybe better than Firestarter, as Maxim was always a stronger vocalist than Keith. It is odd, though, that this sounded so much like the future in 1997 and sounds so of its time now. Malcolm says there can only be one winner this week. What an absolute banger, even though this album represents less than the best of Liam Howlett's output. But David says, I suspect I'd pay good money to never have to hear this again. And Hedro, you were met on this I was met on it only because I found like a lot of other songs a little bit more compelling. I like this song of the Prodigy. This is probably my favorite. I've been to a student disco circa 1999, and this was one of the regular tracks they would drop, and it would work. You know, the crowd would dance to it and have fun with it. I think the construction's really interesting because all the parts of the song sound like a chorus, while the verses. I tend to take the more guitar strumming parts as kind of like the verse portion of the song. And I don't know. It's interesting. I enjoy it more. I enjoy it more than Firestarter, which is probably the only thing that really kind of made it here in the States. Mm. I'm not sure I'd know how to dance to this because for me, I haven't really got enough rhythmically to latch onto in the way that I normally latch onto dance because I could imagine standing with me if I was a sort of bloke that stood there with a mates going, yeah in a big circle, but I'm not that sort of guy, so I'd be a bit of a loss. Yeah, basically drunken is the way to dance to this. With dance music, most of the time it's a straight 4-4 kick, and that's relatively easy to dance to. Uh, and then once you get into breakbeat, it becomes harder to dance. Breakbeat hardcore is a more abrasive sound. And I think what they've done here with the Prodigy, they were pushing that envelope to the point of, I would argue you actually mosh to this. You dance to this in the same way that you dance to... ACDC or the darkness or something like that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You're not dancing with your hands in a big fish, little fish cardboard box kind of way. The comment that said it sounds a bit dated, I don't think it sounds particularly dated now. Well, this is what I learned from your comments on this last time, because when you said the Prodigy were massively influential to this day, that really took me by surprise. And then you quoted a whole raft of bands whose names I'm familiar with, but whose music I never listened to. And I had absolutely no idea that that was all going on. And maybe James, who made that comment, similarly isn't listening to Enter Shikari and Hadouken. This track actually uses one of the classic original hip-hop breakbeats, Thin Lizzy, Johnny the Fox. All right. Way out ahead. Way out ahead in first place, earning three points for the 1980s. All but one voter placed it in their top three. Erasure, sometimes. Alex says, for me, this is the perfect bridge between two eras, late 80s pop, but retaining the sense and sound of synth pop being invented in people's bedrooms a few years earlier. Ed says, 
it's a banger, but it's definitely one of those songs where the actual version doesn't live up to the version of it in your head. I know you guys like all the different touches, but for me, there's too much going on. Craig says, I love Vince Clark era Depeche Mode and Yazoo, but somehow Erasure never quite clicked. I think a lot of that was about the people I knew who liked them at the time. But away from that context, this is just a brilliant tune. And Hedro, you obviously agree because you placed it first as well. Yeah, this was like the first Erasure track I remember anticipating when those was going to come out. When Ola Moore came out, I loved that. That was great. It was fun to dance to. My musical tastes tend to go very much in the synth pop direction. And for a while there, like in the early 90s, my best friend and I had kind of had like this running joke in our head. They're the, the gay men who liked Erasure and the gay men who preferred the Pet Shop Boys. And I was always kind of more in the latter camp. But this is still an absolutely great song. Yeah, that kind of relates back to what I was saying in the previous episode. For my lot, it was... The ones who like the Pet Shop Boys are the ones who like the Communards. And we used to have quite intense discussions about, you know, demographically pegging people as Communards or Pet Shop Boys. Nick, what do you make of Alex's comment? A bridge between early and late 80s pop. Would you agree with that? Um, I suppose to some degree. I mean, it's Vince Clark. That's all Vince Clark has always done, I think, pretty much. But the production on it is so slick. It feels more latter than former. It's got those additional touches and flourishes i think that early depeche mode synth poppy stuff didn't have it was very much just synth and vocal and drum machine wasn't it whereas Mm. this has got a lot more percussion and little musical motifs and stuff so i would put it in the latter category but i absolutely understand what what you mean i think this is more at the pop end of it synth pop is cool Let's face it, it's cool music for cool people, made by cool people. Whereas the closer you get to pop, the less cool it is, but sometimes the more fun it is. You know, this isn't this isn't a hop, skip and a jump away from the likes of Bross and things like that. It's, you know, it's got that type of, we are just pop stars now. And I think it's the better for it, really. I agree with that. Early synth pop very much came out of the post-punk underground it came out of the arty intellectual set prime example being human league but yeah erasure andy bell is totally uncool there's nothing arty or intellectual about him at all i think that's actually one of erasure's strengths well now shall we look at the master scoreboard it's a weird one this time because in joint last place with one point each all of our three most recent decades, 1990s, 2000s, 2010s, joint last. Still in third place, still with three points, it's the 1970s, and then we've got a swap at the top. So dropping to second place with six points, we've got the 1960s, edging up to first place with eight points, last season's champions, the 1980s. Could we be looking at a repeat result for season three? This next episode that we've got coming up is a strong one for um, the more recent decades without giving too much away. I equally think Mm. it's an incredibly weak one for the earlier decades. I will say no more. Thank you very much, Hedgerow, for participating. Thank you for uh, having me on here. Really enjoyed that, mate. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your morning. I suppose you Americans would have it over there. Take care, everyone. Bye. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Come and get your black bin bags. They're on offer till December Come and get your black bin bags 
They're long and black and slender Heavy duty black bin bags No matter what your gender Heavy duty black bin bags Whether by or straight or bender That was good yeah, it's good, wasn't it? Oh, it's a good one, that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Something about Americans with a deep voice that just makes you believe everything they say, isn't it? <laughs> it all sounds weighty and genuine. <laughs> Maybe that's why their country is so confused. But he sounds so genuine. <laughs> <laughs>